the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I've been thinking about sort of a Christmas message these days, you know, with so much going on, so busy, life is so hectic in everyone's lives. You know, I'm at the stage of my life where my children are, um, my oldest is 19, uh, 19, yeah, 19, and then down 17, uh, 15, and uh, 11, going to be 12 in a, in a, in a week, uh, a month or so, and very busy. Very busy, like everybody. But I got friends and colleagues that their children are really young. You know, uh, while you hear um, Ryan Hyde, our communications director, his his children are, you know, down younger and, and there's a different uh, kind of Christmas thing. And then now friends and Kamesin Mohan, our own um, newly he's newly wed and his family's just about to start. Everybody's in different spots, but you get to the spot you're in and it's where you are. And I've been thinking about it for Christmas. Because, you know, like everybody, how do you keep the focus on Christmas on what's happening? You know, on on the truth of of the incarnation, and in this cr- also crazy time with politics, right? We're turning the calendar into twenty twenty four, and eh, pretty legitimately, it feels like this one is a big big year. Um, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, really don't know. And then and then on top of that, laid over the top of that is the social media thing, and and then the, the the hangover from COVID, where people are still sort of recovering socially and and interrelated. So a lot. Of, how do you keep the focus on? Uh, your faith and on uh, Christmas. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge. One of the things this year that we did better than we'd ever done is way ahead of time. I don't know why my wife and I in the summer looked at the calendar and said, how can we plan for Christmas and get scheduled some things that will make a difference in terms of putting our minds into the spirit of the, of the season which we never do. We, we've never planned. Please call planning ahead. It, it may have been because of our daughter being away at college. We suddenly realized when she comes home, you only have a window where you can see her. And so you better do stuff together as a family and plan ahead. And, and actually last summer we did that to make sure we had a, a family vacation. Uh, but in this case for Christmas, we looked at the calendar and we added into the calendar and went out and bought tickets. We bought tickets to um, the Nutcracker um, at the uh, at the, the Kennedy Center, which is a big production. Um, we went we bought tickets to A Christmas Carol uh, performed at Ford's Theater, the, the famous theater where Lincoln was assassinated, had been a very vibrant theater uh, before. That's why the president was there. And also it went into um, a disrepair for a couple of decades after uh 
his murder there. But then it became a, a museum, but also became a theater again and very active. And so we went and so we did the, these two events. And then within our church community, we, we had a couple of different um events. Uh, one uh, was a, a Christmas drive uh, for food for, uh, uh, you know, a, a poor people and, and gathering food. And and uh, the kids volunteered to be a part of that. And then we've just made it a point of trying to do more uh, with the uh, with our church. So we kind of did it. But here's what I want to tell you. We kind of did it um, in the sense that um, the, the, the we, we did the Nutcracker was early in December. Um, and like the first day or first second day that our daughter was home. So maybe not early, maybe it was like the 10th or 11th of December. And then the a Christmas Carol was around, um, the 20th or so. I can't remember exactly, but both of them did a wonderful job of kind of, we had to get dressed up nice. We had dinner at home. We didn't go out to dinner, but we had dinner at home, but we'd, we'd have dinner early at home in both cases. Well, in the case of the Nutcracker dinner early, because it was a seven o'clock show in the case of the, um, of the uh, Christmas Carol, we went to a two o'clock showing, uh, and we then went and got pizza on the way home from that. But both of them were wonderfully done. Both were wonderfully done. And I mentioned the uh, volunteering at our church, which the kids actually really had a good time because they had had some new have some new friends there. And so, and you know, the oldest, our daughter, is always uh, she's she's always looking to to meet Mister Wright. As in church groups are good ones, so she was she was energized. Anyway, we we somehow did it, and. I was late to put up Christmas lights because I hate Christmas lights. That's another story. So that, that didn't, that wasn't the festive part. My favorite part of the Christmas lights is a few years ago, I bought one of those, um, cutouts, wood cutouts, uh, and it's a cutout of, um, Santa, uh, kneeling before the baby Jesus. You know, that image that you see so popularly. I love that because I love the idea of in the Santa fervor. Actually, my wife put me onto it. The, the, my wife, that's her favorite image, uh, is the, is because in the fervor of Christmas, it makes you, you crazy, um, to see the commercialism and we fall into it. We have more stupid gifts that keep coming and my wife keeps ordering and these kids have everything under the sun, but here we are. Um, and yeah, that's so I love that. That's the only lights I like. So we're late with lights that didn't matter, but somehow we did it where we were. We've all been think We all were thinking about Christmas and about what it means. Now over the top of that was uh, uh, my wife's one of her good friends facing a serious health issue and my parents and my wife's parents, so my in-laws, being in their 80s. And uh, my dad turned 80 this year. Actually, my mother will turn 80 next year. My in-laws are a couple of years older than that. And realizing that, you know, um, time is uh, finite when it comes to people like that in your life. And so somehow we kind of got this. And what I want to tell you is I want to make an argument for scheduling these things that are valuable whether it's the Nutcracker, Christmas Carol, uh, participating at your church, schedule them into your life as a way to uh, beat back the frenetic quality of, you know, social media and streaming and all these things, because it is frenetic. It's wild how fast and nobody's nobody's immune from it. You could say, well, I don't use my phone very much or I, I monitor my kids usage. Fine. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the pace of life. The pace of life is frenetic. And so this Christmas, I keep thinking about this, slow it down. And the way to slow it down counterintuitively is schedule stuff, schedule stuff, put them in your schedule. And so that's my pitch uh, to you. That's my uh, lesson learned. And that's my uh, uh, kind of encouragement. The other thing, say the other lesson similar is 
We do this prayer call every Friday, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles Prayer for America. It's at 10 a.m. Central Time. And you know what? When you schedule it, prayer, it, it it's another part for me. It's another part of my whole week. I'm thinking of that prayer I'm thinking, who's got prayer requests? Who can I, uh, you know, a couple days before the most recent prayer uh, call, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. She's an extraordinary woman, and she's starting a um, a university to teach science. She's a scientist to teach science and and to teach it from an explicitly Christian tradition, not and not separated and not secularized and not driven away. And she, anyway, extraordinary lady. She's waiting on accreditation, and she's been thinking about it. And she said to me, will you pray? Will you pray for it? And I said, yeah, you bet. And I've been thinking about it. So and because I had the prayer call scheduled, it says every week, 10 o'clock central time, I thought that's coming. And I can put, I can put that into my life as a focus and it works. It works really well. So feel free to join us, by the way, put that. If you want to put that into your schedule, I'm we, I'm scheduling it for you. We run it out of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles uh, uh, programs and you can easily come in there, you know, every, every Friday or every other Friday or every fifth Friday, we're there every Friday at 10 a.m. Uh, Central time and uh, just email uh, me or Ryan or uh, Mason and we'll get you the information so you can join in. So that's my point. Now, are you ready for the blow you away insight that I came away with on this? The reason, the reality, that's better, of God sending his son to become man in the incarnation, this miracle that's at the heart of Christ's birth. It's not just that a really great baby was born and a really great baby was born and had a really great life and gave us a lot of great teachings. That's not what happened. What happened was God sent his son, became man, the incarnation, God as man. He, he came down to be like us exactly like us, except he's also God. And that's a mystery, right? That's a mystery that's often a challenge for people to uh, figure out, to contemplate. But here's the key. It didn't happen in a book. It didn't happen in a theory. It didn't happen in a movie, a made-for-TV movie. It wasn't a tweet or an X post. It wasn't a, a sub stack. It was in time, in time in history, in the history of us uh, today is one day tomorrow's another day i'm in time i'm in history what happened was one day there was not god as man and the next day there was it happened in time there was a, a man who is god who lived for 30 plus years and walked the earth in time just like us which makes our time so special what makes our time not just you know something we have to get through to get to heaven or to get to our fulfillment, however you want to understand what what uh, unity with Christ would be in heaven or you know in, in salvation. It's we are granted we are in time precisely as an echo of the incarnation of God becoming man, which is why scheduling things. For me to, to do these events that point us, you know, this church volunteer thing I mentioned that was so wonderful, Christmas Carol, the Nutcracker. I didn't think I'd like the Nutcracker, by the way. The first act was pretty terrible. I thought too busy and crazy. The second act was all these extraordinary gifted um, uh, dancing moves. I didn't think I'd ever like it. It was wonderful. It was amazing and very spiritual is the wrong word, but very soulful. Amazing. So schedule it. And when you think about the holiness of the day of the holidays, the holy days, think about what a gift they are in time because, not because of God's goodness to us, that's true, but because he sent his son to be among us. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, not was around other people, was thoughtful, was among us. That's my message for this Christmas season. Be right back.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our friend Gregory Wrightstone, we had him on a few weeks ago. I think we talked uh, just before his newest book was out, and now the book is out. Um, it is entitled A Very Convenient Warming, How Modest Warming and More CO2 Are Benefiting Humanity. Gregory Wrightstone, of course, is a geologist by training and is the executive director of the CO2 Coalition, CO2Coalition.org. That's the best place to go find lots of what's going on there. Uh, welcome back, Gregory. How are you? Oh, uh, really good. Good to be back with you, Ed. There's a lot going on as usual. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the sure. Is. So first of all, on the book, the book's out now. Um, you you had the experience with the last book. We've talked about it. Where you, you put it out because you had something you wanted to say. It took a while, but it became very, very useful. Became very well uh, used and received. How's this one going? You're now a bit of an established figure on this. Are you feeling like your um, your people are paying attention now? Are you expecting to sort of build up to it? Well, what's your, what's the sense? Of the book again is a very convenient warming. Uh, just out in the last uh, a few well, a week or two, uh, more than that, but uh, in the last yeah. month or two. Go ahead. We, we, we put it out. We just published actually last week. And oh, good. Uh, it's only right now it's available only at very convenient or excuse me, convenientwarming.com, convenientwarming.com. Uh, sales have been good. Uh, it'll be going up on Amazon, I believe, January 2nd after the first year. Publication date will be 2014, actually. Oh, okay. But you can buy the books right now at convenientwarming.com. Uh, I've been getting just the people that have gotten it and read it are just raving about it. Yeah, well, I've got I've got a copy and read it. It's the same thing. Uh, before I get back to the book, Gregory, I wanted to ask you, the, the, the uh, one of the things you did the last time this uh, you started rolling out your other book was take some of the things that people say and take them to pieces, like extreme weather. Everyone says, oh, the weather is so much extreme. You went, wait a second, let me look at this as a scientist. Put together slide decks. I remember looking at what happened when Iceland uh, volcano blew up. The, it, it got some attention on the conservative side saying, see, you can't predict anything about the future. What, uh, what, what, what did that really mean? Anything? Well, no, it's, I mean, Iceland sits across the, the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. It's a surface expression at the surface uh, of the spreading center that um, volcanism is going on in Iceland. That's what created Iceland. Uh, the really big ones, this one that's going off right now, uh, it's really a big fissure. And the lava, the danger there is the lava is just kind of spewing out. It's flowing and it might cover people up. The real dangers for Icelandic volcanoes are the explosive ones. Uh, and in particular, Hecla uh, is is one that's been very dangerous. It's erupted some 300 times over the last, I think, 400 years. Usually uh, not catastrophic, but throughout Iceland's history, the volcano Hecla twice have been just horrific results. The first was in uh, 426 BC during what was called the uh, in the beginning of the dark of the Greek Dark Ages, and it led to worldwide cooling, uh, agricultural fam failures and famine. Again, in uh, the 1400s, it erupted hugely again. Again, it was it contributed to four to five years of cooling, hmm. uh, blocking the sun. The, the combination of the sun being blocked and cooling led again to crop failure. Uh, more than half the population after that volcano and a subsequent volcano just after that uh, half the population perished of Iceland. In fact, the uh, uh, the Dutch government at the time controlled Iceland. They actually considered abandoning the entire island nation. Hmm. 
Hmm. Didn't do it. So at least the really big volcanoes have yeah. a cooling effect on, on the Earth. Well, and 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 that's one of the things Gregory Wrightstone is our guest, a geologist and, of course, a, a well-known author now, but, but also his sort of day job as executive director over at the CO2 Coalition, CO2Coalition.org, a lot there. But that's one of my things about the hoax. When I tell people it's a hoax, I don't even have to get into whether it's a hoax about uh, carbon or anything else. It's just a hoax that they have models that they can predict how we can behave when you're one volcano away from having five years of cooling in the whole earth right i mean it's 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 a it's an, an insane to do um the the modest warming that you talk about in your book and i will remind people you can get the book at convenientwarming.com convenientwarming.com um you, you what's if it stayed the same a very convenient warming how moderate modest warming and more co2 are benefiting if it stays where we are how, tell us in a thumbnail how it benefits us Oh, my Lord. Uh, there, there are so <laughs> many easy. benefits. There are so many benefits, but primarily uh, we can look at agricultural production uh, and see that modest warming, it's warmed about a degree Celsius since uh, 1900, combined with more CO2 are leading to just tremendous uh, increases in agricultural productivity. In the book, I capture the eight top uh, agricultural products in the in the in the world, right. and all eight of these are breaking records year after year after year, and that's because the warming is leading to longer growing seasons. The more CO two is firing up carbon dioxide and uh, fuel photosynthesis, and then that's backed up by increased nitrogen fertilizer that's made from natural gas from fossil fuels. So those mm. three things uh, are are all beneficial to agricultural productivity. And so we're being told that, oh, no, CO2-driven warming is unusual and unprecedented, and it will lead to crop failure. But the facts belie that. The facts tell us it's just the opposite. And in fact, looking through human history, which you read in the book, uh, we see that all the past warming periods were hugely better. They're warmer than today, and were just tremendously beneficial for crop production and humanity. Uh, we're talking again with uh, Gregory Wrightstone. His book is out just in the last week or two available uh, wherever you it'll in a few weeks available wherever you get books. But right now, convenientwarming.com. You can go there and get a copy. Um, so what's how, how also I always ask ask this of you. How's the state of the opposition to reasonableness? It seemed like old Greta had a, a, a her shining star faded a bit, um, maybe maybe because she decided to side with the uh, Hamas terrorists. But that's a different uh, conversation. But in general, uh, our, our, I, I think I know the answer when I say, well, our government's being more reasonable. You and I just talked offline about how the EU and and others are not reasonable at all. So is it is it trending uh, uh, the, the the reasonable way, or are we still in an, in an era where the, the hysteria and hoax are, are are carrying far too much policy weight? Oh, Ed, I'm 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 a huge optimist. I see um, so much. I, I I tell our people we are winning. Uh, I see it every day. Uh, more and more people coming around and just questioning this. When we talk about a climate hoax, which I usually don't use that word, but it, it's not that the climate's not changing. Of course it is. It's that uh, it is leading to catastrophe and climate uh, crises. And that's that that's the hoax. The hoax is is that uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, extreme weather, sea level rise, all being fueled by unprecedented warming. And that's that's just factually incorrect. And so I see that. Um just about every week, every day, more and more evidence of, of people questioning this. 
so I'm I'm very much the optimist. Uh, I think it's we're going to see the death of this uh, climate alarmism within the next few years, if not sooner. Again, we're talking with Gregory Wrightstone, executive director over the CO2 coalition and the author of a very convenient warming. Um, how about the um, uh, the the subsidized industries, electric vehicles, um, some of the greens, energy, solar stuff that uh, only distorts the market doesn't doesn't make it work better, in my opinion. I think you agree. What, what about those things? What about the uh, the the stomach for subsidies and things like that? Oh, we're seeing the the not so slow death of this of the electric vehicle market. Uh, we're seeing uh, GM and Chevy, many yeah, companies. I did see that. Yeah, cutting, GM cutting the names. They're laying off people. They're not doing more EVs. They're doing fewer. Uh, they're shutting down factories. Uh, the projections for EVs have plummeted. Uh, people just don't want them, uh, particularly in the in the really cold areas it just doesn't work very well uh the range can be de- reduced by more than 40 percent in very mm-hmm. cold weather uh and and it's just uh for example my uh in our office a gentleman has a has a hybrid well he, he he's got a bug in his car he has to he has to plug it in every three it's got to be run or plugged in every three days right uh, or because of the battery's about shot mm-hmm. well th- that's not People don't want that. What if he goes away for a week and that comes back to a dead battery? Um, It's not it's these are not good. They're not efficient. They're not suitable for long distance transport. Uh, It's only really suitable for city dwellers that go back and forth between home and an office. Right, Uh, right, right, right. Well, I just think that now that you said that the guy that brings an electric vehicle into Gregory Wrightstone's uh, office, that's that we that guy should get a profile in courage or something anyway. uh, All right, Gregory Wrightstone, we got to run a a very convenient warming. Thank you. We'll put up on social media links to uh, get to that uh, website to buy that book, which is convenientwarming.com. It'll be available everywhere soon. Thank you, Gregory. Thanks, Ed. We'll talk to you again. All right. Talk to you soon. We'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. Uh, Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest has been with uh, with us before. Uh, Robert Bortons is the CEO and uh, has been an outspoken leader. He's CEO of Classical Conversation, sorry, an outspoken leader in, uh, in uh, communicating how homeschool can be effective, why it works, what's happening, and also what's going on in our schools. So welcome back, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. You know, I, I thought of you because I knew I'd be talking to you earlier in the week. I had a friend, a, a new friend tell me that um, he experienced a um, he, he's in retail and he said his best workers are homeschoolers. And there are a couple reasons. One, he said they generally want to work. Um, they're not just told by their parents, you know, go work. They're sort of motivated, self-motivated, which makes sense to me. The other thing he said was um, he has a retail business and he could get young people, high school and uh, I guess junior and senior in high school, and they would be able because of their lifestyle to work sometimes, you know, two or three times a week during the week, you know, that they could, um, this guy was at a, a supermarket type place and, and he said it was just, a, it was really a pleasant uh, thing. Is that a piece of that? I never thought of it before, uh, Robert. Is that a part of of um, of life for homeschoolers? 
Yeah, absolutely. One of the best things about homeschooling is the flexibility. You're not a slave to someone else's calendar. And and one of the big reasons that I was successful was in high school, I knew I wanted to be an engineer. And I was actually able to get an internship with an engineering company. It was about 12 guys, and they worked with Fortune 500 companies. And uh, once a week during the school year, I would work full-time, you know, eight-hour days. And uh, during the summer, I would work 40-hour weeks with them. So by the time I had graduated high school, I had almost a full year of actual engineering work wow. under my belt as I head, headed to college. So uh, homeschoolers are doing that. We're not meant to sit in cubicles eight hours a day. Of course, everyone's trying to get out of the rat race. And why do we put our kids in institutions yeah. that uh, mimic that uh, drudgery? You know, I, you know, I, I have to say, I, I, I'm sorry to admit, you know, and I, we, you and I have talked about it before. Again, our guest is uh, Robert Bordens, and his website is classicalconversations.com, where you can see uh, the many programs for homeschoolers that they have available from uh, the earliest one. I think it's called Foundations for Ages 4 and up, and then all the way through uh, high school and, and uh, lots of ideas, even on college credits. And, um, and Robert, I never thought of it before. I mean, as I've talked to you before, my out of my family life, for lots of reasons, it was not something something that we did for our kids and then my upbringing, but I've, I've had such a good experience of, of being around people who uh, both utilize homeschooling and have our advocates for it. But I think that's a big selling point because, you know, one of the things that's happening with the technology is, um, you know, we talk about maybe some people are called to different jobs, right? And there's a, this uh, don't go to college, go to trade school or choose or, or decide for yourself. That's a really interesting selling point, um, to people that, you know, you, you're, you're not going to be, I know not to be a slave to the calendar, but also you're going to have the ability to have these experiences. I, I, I don't know if it's highly understood. Seems to me to be really valuable. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I know almost all homeschool kids go get jobs, not just, not that there's anything wrong with bagging groceries. I mean, I'm 100% for people who are able to do that, but a lot of times they're able to go find mentors in the fields they plan to pursue uh, later in life and uh, or go work, you know, for construction or learn something that's going to be valuable for them uh, in no, no matter what field uh, of interest they choose to pursue. So the flexibility makes it so that entrepreneurs and small business owners are definitely more likely to, um, you know, go after these students and the students don't have to get hundreds of thousands of dollars in college debt to find out they don't want to do something. Mm -hmm. Um, They might go to trade school. They might go to community college or go into the mission field or go straight into starting a business because they have, haven't been confined by the world's ways for 12 years. You know, they've always had an opportunity to think outside the box because you're forced to as a homeschooler. Uh, Robert Portens again is our guest. He's the CEO of uh, Classical Conversations. Uh, if you go to classicalconversations.com, you can see many of the resources there as well as a blog, and uh, and you can get in touch, uh, responsive, a bookstore, all kinds of things. Um, and by the way, in defense of baggers, my first job was uh, bagging in a grocery store, and I worked my way all the way up and all through high school and college, and every time I came home, I was there, and by the time I was done, I was a, I don't know, assistant manager, and it was, as you just described, a great, I ended up with some great mentors. So I'm just in defense of baggers, uh, although I don't think they let you bag anymore. Who knows? But uh, Robert, Robert, how's, how does the how does a scandal like what happened with the anti-Semitism? First of all, how do you react to it? I mean, one of the things I, one of the things I like about having you on is you talk. I know you, your, your mother was big into this field. You, you come at it as a 
product as well as as a promoter and you've got a certain peacefulness about you you're not you know you're not um you're not screaming and yelling like sometimes people are in in the in the on the conservative side of the aisle of things but when you see the anti-semitism in in college when you see the sort of brokenness of the harvard and penn and mit uh presidents and all that roils around what what's what how do you react and then what do you think about how you say to people you see what you're you're risking here yeah, well, when you when our education system is founded on the Marxist principle of redistribution of wealth, it's, it's not surprising that those who run that system embrace those ideas. And uh, when you look at that, they want to break you into oppressor and oppressed. And the Jews are have always been considered the oppressors, even when they were in Germany. My uh, wife's great grandfather immigrated to the U.S. from Germany. He's Jewish. They owned a business. They were considered the oppressors in Germany, and his family was told to either get out or stay, but they were given one week to leave. And so these ideas are fundamental to how we fund education in the United States. And so you cannot change something from within. And uh, these professors, these ideas are not surprising to me. It's super sad. Um, but as long as we let the um, Marxists determine how we pay for these things, the professors who teach our kids, who teach our next generations are going to be uh, Marxist uh, in how they view the world. And so whether they're explicitly teaching critical race theory or not, uh, those ideas are being um, perpetrated through our uh, system of education here in the United States. So super sad. But it's a corrupt system and uh, it's not based on truth anymore. They don't believe truth exists. So why would you send your child to an institution for 12 years or four years uh, to a place where they don't even think they can teach them truth? It's a huge waste of their time and energy. And, of course, we see students rebelling against it by not going to class, uh, by having by being depressed, um, by, you know, just our. Learning rates are so low, you know, you're more likely to get bullied or sexually harassed if you go to a public high school than you are to learn to read. And um, it's just disgusting. And parents need to wake up and make sacrifices to get their kids or get your grandchildren out of the public system and into homeschooling or into a private institution. Uh, again, uh, Robert Bortons is our guest. Uh, again, if you go again, uh, classicalconversations.com is his website, the website of his organization. Um, the um, how, how uh, only a minute or two left, but how is the school? The, the, the COVID was an opportunity for so many people to make an argument like you have about homeschooling. People said, I want something different. How has the school choice movement um, played out for you? Do you feel like your homeschool communities are benefiting? They prefer not to be engaged because they don't want the entire entanglements how do you how do you feel about school choice and i'm sorry i've just got about a minute and a half yeah we feel like it's just uh, normalizing welfare for everyone and especially for the rich and the middle class we've seen private schools increasing tuition so it's an unsustainable model and just bringing more people into that marxist mindset that uh, the government should fund everything and uh, the cradle to grave uh, support from the state government so we reject uh, government funding of school choice but of course we 100 percent support parents uh, and their ability to choose we just don't think you should steal from your neighbors to pay for it 
Well, and and then the entanglements, you know, I, I'm early on in my advocacy for what I thought was, uh, you know, I do think a school choice, as you say, parents should be able to choose what they want. But I, early on, I, I, I took a, I, I was taken to the uh, to school by some of my friends who had some more years on me who said, hold on, wa- watch the entanglements, you know, and, and I think charter schools proved that uh, point that you had real, you know, uh, oh, this is school choice. And then it turns out, no, this is managed uh, uh, limit. It's not real choice. It's kind of a, a fake, uh, a fake effort. Well, listen, thank you very much. Uh, and again, Robert Borton's uh, classicalconversations.com. Merry Christmas to you and to uh, all your uh, folks. Happy New Year. And we'll look forward to talking to you in the new year. Merry Christmas. Hey, very good. Thank you. Well done. And we'll uh, we'll I'll put up on social media links uh, to uh, Robert and his work there. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now continuing that legacy, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Chief Justice John Roberts and Justice Brett Kavanaugh were the Supreme Court justices who joined the liberal bloc to expand Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act in order to force an extraordinary override of a state legislature. The court overruled the will of the Alabama state legislature in order to create racial quotas for congressional districts. Roberts joined despite his ruling in 2013 that Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act was no longer needed. And Kavanaugh concurred despite his caveat that, quote, the authority to conduct race-based redistricting cannot extend indefinitely into the future, end quote. The fiction of liberals and federal courts pretending to prefer race-blind policies is laid bare by their racial quotas for redistricting. Every 10 years, a new census results in states redrawing their congressional districts to account for the shifting population and the gain or loss of a congressional seat. The Alabama legislature justifiably sought to keep its southwest Gulf Coast region within one congressional district because there's a common community of interest there, while plaintiffs sought to break it into separate districts in order to forge a second majority Democrat, majority black district. Democrats challenged the legislature's decision based on their theory about the Black Belt region of Alabama, so named for the color of its rich soil and not the color of its residents. The Alabama legislature included much of this region in a district where blacks comprised 42% of its population, which should have been enough. By racially balkanizing Alabama, the court reduces the likelihood that a black congressman can be elected statewide, as Tim Scott has been reelected as a senator in South Carolina. While the loss for the state of Alabama is great, an equal disappointment is the fact that the supposedly conservative Supreme Court would support this horrendous override of state sovereignty in the name of racially motivated redistricting. We should demand better, much better, from our chief judicial officers. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. You'll be glad to know the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly continues. Upheld by Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Chairman Helen Marie Taylor, Treasurer John Schlafly, 
a full staff in St. Louis in our nation's capital, and thousands of citizen volunteers, her eagles, across the country. You can be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let me rise uh, in defense, wait for it, of the media, of even big media, because I am usually critical of big media and the narrative machine, so-called, how the narrative machine is shaping what we believe is true, what we know. Uh, Of course, uh, big media working with big tech and big government, that's the narrative machine. You have to add in there big business. Uh, Someone told me it's a four-legged stool, not a three-legged stool. I think they're right. Uh, The narrative machine, big business, big government, big tech, and big media working together. Well, big media every now and then in the form of someone like the Wall Street Journal does have things that actually sound right and honest and honorable. And that is the case in a recent uh, article, recent essay by a woman named Kimberly Strassel, Kimberly A. Strassel. If you don't know Kim Strassel, she's a very good writer. Um, She's been um, She's been writing on the pages of the uh, Wall Street Journal for, I don't know, maybe a decade. Uh, I think she may have started out as a, a member of the uh, board editorial board and more of an editorial board writer. Um, but she is now um, uh, one of the columnists also. Uh, actually, she's been, let me look at this. Yeah, she's actually been with the Wall Street Journal in various forms, including uh, as a staff writer uh, from back in 1996 uh, and spent some years in London with the Wall Street Journal there. Um, and uh, so she's wonderful. She's wonderful to read. She's thoughtful. I don't always agree with her, but she's a serious, serious writer, a serious uh, person. Uh, and at the Wall Street Journal, which does uh, perhaps um uh, change my equation. I may not be rising in defense of big media because the Wall Street Journal's reporting is still off, I think, and is still dominated by globalists and the big, uh, big government, excuse me, big uh, business folks, but, uh, the individuals like her, uh, who are editorial voices, who are uh, opinion writers, as well as, uh, being, uh, thoughtful, a person, uh, in terms of reporting, that's different. Um, she's a, uh, she's really smart. She's a Princeton grad. I knew that. I was wondering where, um, she went to school. So anyway, very impressive lady and uh, very worth reading. Well, she has a piece um, that captures really well in, a, I don't know, 1500 words, um, the problem that we've been the place we've been put uh, by the left. And the title is Sandbagging the Supreme Court, Sandbagging the Supreme Court by Kimberly Strassel. The subtitle is the best. The left's legal assault on Trump is a threat to the institution, dash, and that's by design. So Kim Kim Strassel then goes into this piece and in in the piece, she basically says, look, um, you know, the 2024 election, you're going to have this uh, Supreme Court having to decide a bunch of aspects. Um, You know, the court imposed gag order in the January 6th case is a question. Uh, Jack Smith's um, uh, uh, document uh, case has all sorts of questions. There's immunity uh, questions, privileges and immunity. There's going to be aspects of uh, the Georgia case that probably come up. And of course, in the last 10 days, we've had the three. Actually, I just mentioned uh, a presidential privilege and immunity. But then the 1512 argument about the law being used inappropriately by the Department of Justice against individuals and Trump. And also then the Colorado state court decision to take him off the off the ballot. And 
What she goes back and talks about is the Supreme Court has had to do this in the past. In 2000, they had to do Bush v. Gore, right? This is what what happened. And her point is the left set this up. The left set this up and and did this on purpose. She references how they they dusted off the 20 year sentences of the 1512 from a the Sarbanes Oxley Act of 2002. And they said, you know, this is I will try this. And she goes into and more importantly, she says there was a day when the professional class, in particular prosecutors and lower court judges, cared about institutions as much as about winning. Not this crew. That's it right there. That's it right there. That that's and and the only thing I wish she would go on to say is where oh where are the lawyers who should be objecting to this, who should be saying about their colleagues what she just said, and that there should be people up in arms in the legal community who are saying, you know, why is this happening? Why is this happening to the law that I love so much? Why is this happening to our system? It's we're supposed to be better than this. We're supposed to. Uh, the, it's the wrong word, but it's kind of right. Police ourselves. And she says it very well. She says it very well. And and she captures it. It's not a lengthy um, uh, piece um, and it's really worth uh, a read. So I, I will I will. It's behind a paywall, I think. So I have to find out if it's I'll find a link where it's available. But uh, it is really a valuable way of understanding uh, what is going on. And from someone who's a close observer, right, who's looked closely at all this stuff and has a sense of what's going on. So Kim Strassel, thank you for doing that. And again, more importantly, than anything, her opinion matters. I think she's right on her opinion, which she gets to the end and says, you know, this is these people don't seem to care about what's happening to our law, the law and everything else. But she marches through these very specific uh, examples so that you're not just talking. If you're if you're talking about this or thinking about it, you're not just talking or thinking about it out in the in the uh, in the wild in terms of you know your thoughts. You have a way to move through the cases that are happening and. Again, to finish with this, as she says, the left's legal assault on Donald Trump and we the people, I'd I'd add we the people, is a threat to the Supreme Court. And that's by design. And that's by design. That really feels right to me. That really feels like um, the the truth of the situation. And it really should trouble us all. So there you have it. All right. Kim Strassel, Wall Street Journal. Great job. Always worth reading her. And uh, we'll, we'll continue to do that. Uh, thank you, as always, to the great Mason Mohan, our associate producer and our producer of this program, uh, Ryan Height. Uh, they do a lot of work to get the, the segments up. Please visit uh, phyllisschlafly.com. Sign up for our daily email, the Daily Wink there and also visit uh, proamericareport.com proamericareport.com and sign up for that substack there in the new year i will especially be writing uh, coming out of there you're going to see it coming out hot so we will um, uh, talk to you soon and be back tomorrow at martin pro america report three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.